Welcome to Travel Worth Living, a travel podcast helping to share adventure stories from around the world. My name is Seth, and I'll be your host today as we get to talk with somebody who has traveled quite extensively over the years. We talk about his adventures while growing up, his home state of New York, his time studying in Australia at Avondale College, some of the difficulties international students face, which he realized while doing his thesis study, and we also philosophize about culture and globalization and how that is impacting our world today. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you because we really dive deep into how preconceived ideas about cultures can really negatively impact how we view the world, how we view other people, and how we view travel. So without further ado, here is Scott Cable. I was listening through a book on um, the pioneers. This was the settling of Ohio. So it was like uh, late 1700s, early 1800s, and... The, the author dropped a quote from Samuel Johnson, and actually I, I have it, and I didn't realize that I would be preparing for a podcast at the time that I heard this quote. Uh, so it says, the use of traveling is to regulate imagination with reality, and instead of thinking how things may be, to see them as they are. So this is, yeah, from Samuel Johnson. Um, and it struck me partly because I do care about travel. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that. I'm sure we'll get into it. But actually... Um, I finished a PhD in education in January, and this was essentially the subject of my PhD, was people who travel. So um, in particular, it was students who you know, travel transnationally for school. So I studied seven students at a, at a uh, Seventh-day Adventist boarding school in the Northeast. So wow. Um, anyway, so I'm cute, like... Like this quote, I think, says it, and, it, and it's matters of the imagination. I mean, it's a big deal. Like, if there's any issue that matters right now, it's the way that people's imaginations are directly affected by their either their movement, limited movement, or their connectivity, like their connection through technology with other people. So imagination is huge, and I think, just like Samuel Johnson pointed out, like travel is really about busting the imagination and, al- and allowing your perception to meet something of, of reality that you've tried to imagine before. So I think it's a huge deal, travel. Yeah, and I think that's a great point because especially like for me growing up, I used to watch a lot of videos and see a lot of pictures. Of course, everybody's seen National Geographic pictures. But yeah. then going out and experiencing it is just a whole nother level. You know, you start to experience the smells and the heat and, and uh, yeah, get used to what those cultures actually live in instead of seeing just a a picture, a static picture. Yeah. Uh, do you know, do you, um, there was some, I mean, speaking of National Geographic, they ended up putting some, there was a big editorial in National Geographic itself apologizing for the way that it's represented different groups around the world, like for decades. No. Did you ever hear about that? No, I didn't see that. Yeah. So, so this is, I mean, it's, it's, it's a massive deal. Like, just like like you say like those images fed again your imagination right Mm -hmm. so then when you when you were able to actually go and visit and realize like i don't know where you've been but like maybe kenya's more developed than you would have guessed Mm -hmm. you know or maybe china's safer than you would imagine Mm -hmm. you know so it's it's like all this stuff like the representations that we've had to process 
are so warped most of the time, especially with with globalization happening. Like it's 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 wild, man. Very true. Um, well, digging into your story, uh, go ahead and tell me where you were born and where you grew up. You don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but yeah, perfect. Um, so my parents came from Buffalo, New York. They left their families behind, traveled west. Eventually, my, they became Seventh Day Adventists. My my father attended Loma Linda. I was born in that area in Southern California. Um, he traveled around working for different church-related organizations um, until I was like almost seven. We moved back to upstate New York. My parents lived in the, in the same house for like the next 20-something years. But uh, after elementary school, I, I went to a boarding school an hour and a half away. And since then, I, I haven't lived in the same place for more than two years. So, and I'm 35. So um, it's hard to say when the growing up started and stopped and mm-hmm. where I was living whenever that happened. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, upstate New York is what I'm where I spend the most time. Yeah, so, I mean, I've been to up, upstate New York. I spent two wonderful summers there at camp. Wonderful summers. Um, but for those who don't know, like, <laughs> when you're talking about New York, you're not talking about New York City. Tell me a little bit about right. upstate New York, what it's like there. The area I'm most familiar with, uh, central upstate, this would be the Finger Lakes region. So you and I met at summer camp up in the Adirondacks, which mm-hmm. is the, the mountains in the in the northeast. Um, the Finger Lakes, beautiful north to south. I, th- I don't remember how many lakes there is, like eight or something like that. But anyway, these long cuts up through the center of New York, uh, where it's wine country, tons of uh, orchards, a lot of farmland in general. Um, I mean, you, you see a lot of uh, uh, maple syrup coming from upstate New York. It's a lot of rural, rural land, really beautiful, four seasons, great fall colors. Um, a lot of small towns. Yeah. So it's a, it's a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool area to be honest. Certainly, certainly not New York city is, <laughs> is to your point. Yeah. And the lakes themselves are pretty deep. Uh, yeah. I don't think it freezes. It's so deep, especially I'm pretty sure it's Seneca. That's the deep one, but I could be wrong about that. Gotcha. That's cool. So, um, so you grew up in the, in the U S what was your first outside of the U.S.? What was your first international experience? Uh, international. So we took a short trip when I was, I think, four. Oh wow! To Mexico. <laughs> I don't know. And that's one of those things. Like I have images in my mind of like what we did, and but I'm not sure if those images are pictures or if they're actually my memories. So um, it's it's a little bit of that trickiness, but. Yeah, I, I have some snapshots in my memory from Mexico. After that. Um, if we're counting Canada, um, you know, like going on the other side of Niagara Falls, for example. Um, but then independently, my first and I think most memorable would have been Dominican Republic with a gymnastics tour from Southern Southern Adventist University. Yeah, that's that was my first big like I'm not with my parents and I'm doing this thing with people and we're going to a different place. And it seems to be a whole lot of Spanish speaking happening and. And what was that like? Were you immediately like, man, I want to do more of this? Or were you kind of like, ah, I don't feel comfortable here. I want to go back to the U.S. Yeah. So so in terms of my uh, memory, that that one's fairly dim, although like certainly I'd be motivated. I mean, just getting stamps on my passport, that was super cool. 
I mean, the <laughs> right. idea. Um, and I and my family, some of my family members are quite international in their travels. So um, well, even my sister had gone to Micronesia for her student missionary year. So it's something I was always interested in. So I think it would be less about that particular experience, although I'm sure there were a lot of really positive moments coming from there. But mm -hmm. I think it's the idea of travel that was more powerful to me than any particular experience. But that one, but that one was very memorable. I mean, um, adapting, I, I should say, I just actually claimed that it wasn't that memorable. But there are elements, now that I'm thinking of it, like having um, plantains, mashed plantains almost every meal and beans, uh, and really super enjoying that, realizing, knowing that the year before they, they also went, this gymnastics team, and a bunch of people got sick. So, like, I have the smell of, of a hand sanitizer. It's very strong in my memory. And so, along with that, that was probably my first exposure of people being afraid of where they were going. Mm, mm -hmm. So, you know, trying to avoid this and that and don't drink, the don't drink the water, don't eat the ice cubes. I mean, all that kind of stuff. That was my first real exposure there. But I started learning a few, you know, Spanish words, and I can't say I ever felt super unsafe or uncomfortable. So it was, it was a, it was a positive first, I'd say. I was um, uh, in Australia for a semester. My last semester of undergrad, I spent at Avondale, and then partway through my undergrad degree, I went to Zambia, and I ended up visiting a bunch of countries and regions in Central Africa. But I'd say Asia is the place I've spent the most time and and kind of traveled around the most. Although more recently it's been Europe. So gotcha. Yeah, yeah. All all of those like Europe, Africa, Asia. You can rack up a lot of countries <laughs> by traveling around. Yeah, there. yeah. Pow, but, pow, pow, pow. Yeah. Sure. Well, um, that's right. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go back to Australia. Well, that's one place I really want to get to and just just kind of visit and experience. Uh, what was that that like? Yeah, so you, you, can, you can imagine how each experience is really um, affected by the intentions of the travel, yes. right? So uh, my intention was to graduate and to also record music. Uh, I, t I was taking a bunch of senior level classes in an education system I was unfamiliar with, and that's more rigorous, typically more rigorous than the American system. But honestly, <laughs> I was so dominated by schoolwork it wasn't until the very end that i could actually travel around so man kind of crazy but it was beautiful and and i still am very attracted to people with some variation of an australian accent so mm -hmm. so that worked out yeah i love one of my favorite things about um different countries is the accents just like hearing people talk and i wish i was better at it sometimes i'm just like man where are you from <laughs> Sounds cool, but I well, have no idea where you're from. Well, I'd like to teach your listeners a game really quick, and it's called Stinky Pinky. And the thing is, you have to think of two words that rhyme and have the same number of syllables, and then you give a clue for that pair of words. You can give a clue for the first and for the second. Well, I was playing Stinky Pinky, so actually Stinky Pinky is a Stinky Pinky, right? So you would say, like, a smelly uh -huh. finger. So I say to you, it's a smelly finger, and you say to me, ah, oh, it's a Stinky Pinky. So you would have got it just then. Well, we were playing with a bunch of Australian people during their version of camp meeting. So there's this guy, Harry, who was the he was the guard like at the front of the school at the gate. 
Mm-hmm. His name's Harry. And uh, there was an American guy who gave a clue, which was something like the frightening some security person or whatever. And these guys, the Australian guys, were stumped, like fully stumped. And it took them, honestly, like we had to give them clues and all kinds of stuff, but it took them a while to get it. The thing is, Scary Harry sounds like it rhymes to me. Yeah. But it did not sound like it rhymed to them. Really? So, yeah, they could not get it. Like, it was so different from the accent that they were used to hearing that, that, that it just wouldn't it wouldn't match up. So you couldn't even think of it. <laughs> Scary Harry or something. It was, like, totally different. Scary Harry. It's a great game, by the way. I hope your uh, your listeners play it. It's super fun. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to pick that up. So uh, after Australia, where, where next? I think what's interesting to me is now that I have, I think, like you, actually lived in places that I thought were supposed to be super different from yeah. where I lived before. Or, you know, I just assume this whole, like, every country is super particular and different and strange and... Like, I'm kind of over a lot of that, right? So I don't really think... It's hard for me to think in terms of, like... Yeah, which country came next. And where I... Yeah, because it's just, like, it's just another part of my life. You know what I yeah. mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but well, let me... Uh, it's interesting that you say that, because I've experienced <clears throat> that even... I mean, as a military kid, my dad's an ar- army chaplain. Um, mm. I grew up all over the States, as well as Japan. And oh, yeah. I spent, like, mm-hmm. six months in China, but I don't really remember it. That's one of those memories more from pictures than anything. But uh, yeah. even in the United States, like the difference between Florida and Alaska or Vermont and California or Texas is so different. And so growing up in yeah. those or spending time living in those different states is going to be so radically different that it's almost like being in another country. Because what I've experienced with being in other countries is People are still people. You know, there's basic elements that yeah. are no different. And it's just the thing, how they how they live their lives, how they uh, view community, how they uh, mm-hmm. talk that are different. And you can get those in the States as well, just because I'm most familiar with the United States where I grew up. Yeah, um, that's right. But yeah, that's what well, I've experienced. So, yeah. so, the, so the reverse is actually true, too. So in, in the same, even in your same statement, like living in... Um, Living in different countries is like living in different states. Uh, well, I guess the inverse is also relevant, where like living living in different countries is like living in different states. And if somebody mm-hmm. doesn't see that living from one neighborhood to another is significant, like there are significant differences there, and they just believe there will be massive differences between when you live here and when you live in Argentina, like the thing is, what seems to me to be true is that. Uh, there are certainly, and this is because of the technologies available and, and because of how media, and I don't mean like news outlets, but I mean like images and videos and stuff like affect our imagination so much. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, there's difference, but like way, way more similarity for the most part, most of the time. Like most people, most of the time live in a world that's actually more similar than it's different. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and especially because people are being attracted to urban areas now. Mm-hmm. More than ever. And so, well, and, and maybe not necessarily true in the U.S., but but there is reurbanization happening. I, I mean, and and as more cities develop and grow, like experiences are actually more similar more of the time, even though we want to imagine that they're going to be super different. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, sure, there's little regional things that make states feel very different. But you can still, you can put headphones in and have a screen 
in front of you and have that experience literally universally as long as you have a data connection. Yeah. You know, so like anyway, yeah, it, there's wild stuff possible now. Um, but I actually see living in Northern California as comparable to living in, I mean, to, in terms of my comfort level and me figuring out how to live life, <laughs> it'd be easier in Northern California, but I'd be comfortable in most other places. I feel maybe, maybe I wouldn't, but yeah, maybe. And you were mentioning earlier that your uh, graduate thesis or graduate um, research was on international yeah, yeah. students. Uh, yeah, right. Since we're talking about living in different places, I thought this would be a great time to kind of dig into that as well. So as uh, an international student, what are some of the things that they face? Uh, I mean, you were an international student in Australia, <laughs> even though you right. were just like studying yeah. most of the time. Um, but what are some challenges that they might face learning in a new environment? Yeah. Um, so the, the first one, and this was really the stuff of my, it became the main feature of my study was mismatch. So in particular, mismatch between expectation and experience. So the one of the, and I would say, I should say the initial trouble they face is having to reconcile how they imagined life to be with how life actually is. That's the initial hurdle is going through that. I don't know this. I haven't spent much time or haven't read much on this uh, topic, especially, but there will be something like, uh, a grieving process or a, a serious transition when how you thought life would be just doesn't turn out that way. So that's like the first thing. But um, another thing is, um, and, and people might call that different things like culture shock or whatever. I'm not a huge fan of that term. But another massive problem is just as much as they misunderstand what they're just about to experience, the place they're experiencing is going to misunderstand them. So what I found over and over and over is that and this is actually quite uh, common in the literature, uh, people's passports tell you very little about about them. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, unless it's you checking the stamps. But if they if I own an American passport, that's not going to that's not really going to tell you that much about me, especially now that we have these connective technologies and like the mobility piece like these. A lot of these kids have traveled quite a bit. If they're not traveling physically, they're traveling in, again, their imaginations. So they have a lot of experiences in common with students, domestic students in the U.S. who would never imagine that one of the students from Brazil is going to be uh, like one of their favorite shows is Friends. Like mm -hmm. that's the kind of thing that would never occur to them. So um, so I think it's the mismatch on both ends that is most troubling. I mean, then you can start looking at like language differences and and all of that, and and these are fairly well known. But what I've focused on is uh, is really uh, imagination based, as influenced by beliefs about nations, beliefs about um, um, people as members of large groups, so that a Chinese person should have certain characteristics. And globalization is challenging a lot of that. But it's also forcing people to be desperate to actually reclaim and redefine a lot of that. So it's super complicated. Um, but that's that's what's most interesting to me right now. But I don't believe in, for example, a national culture. So if you if you were to say if you were to make a claim about something like Spanish culture or you know Chilean or uh, Samoan culture, these uh, these are things which I find highly problematic making claims about national cultures or even a culture in, in some massive scale. 
Yeah, I think uh, you're very spot on on how how a lot of people talk about you know a national culture, and that's just a small part that ties them together. Like you have the same national anthem, you have the same flag, you have the same land that you grew up in, and those are kind of you know part of your heritage, part of your national culture. But like you're saying, especially with modern technology, like our world is changing so fast and globalization, yeah. everybody is more connected in various aspects and um, yeah, and different micro micro groups like Clash of Clans and stuff all around the world. Hey guys, I'd like to interrupt this episode with a quick word from our sponsor. Actually, JK, it's not our sponsor, but Today's guest, Scott Cable, actually makes some incredible Scott sauce, which I am still waiting to try because he does not ship international right now, hopefully soon. But anyway, here's a quick word from Scott about his Scott sauce. So I'm Scott and I make Scott sauce and Scott sauce is simple, actually. It's just six ingredients. It's based on aged or fermented jalapenos and garlic. It's got a little vinegar signature ingredient that I like most and it actually comes from upstate New York is maple syrup and uh, it's super tasty uh, it's really good on uh, Tex-Mex foods it's a it's a nice uh, vinaigrette or a salad dressing base it's great for dipping pizza it's all handmade by me uh, I make small batches and I ship to anywhere in the US you can check it out on Instagram and Facebook at Scott sauce for all or with the hashtag Scott Sauce is uh, obviously one word. And then I have a website, which is scott-sauce.myshopify.com. So there you go. I've read the reviews, I've heard the stories, I've seen the pictures. Apparently it's fantastic sauce and I can't wait to try it once I get back to the US. All right, now back to our episode. And, and because because exceptions are becoming so much more common, it's hard to think of them as exceptions anymore. Yeah. You know, or, whereas like, what was it? Um, What's the magic show with uh, Penn and, Penn Penn and Teller, Teller. Fool Us or whatever yeah. it is? Like some some Japanese guy gets on the show and they're like shocked that he watches Fool Us. Well, like, why? Yeah. It's on YouTube. Like anybody can watch it. Yeah. You know, anybody who's interested in magic could show up having, having consumed every episode of Fool Us that's ever existed. And like that... At some point, that's not going to be a surprise anymore, but for now it is. Mm-hmm. I think partly because people love this idea of a national or regional culture. Yeah. So, that's, anyway. That's super interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. So, out of all the countries you visit, which ones are, do you have any favorites? Ones that you just love to oh, go back and visit? If I do want to go back, also like China is, or among folks who speak some variant of like Mandarin, mm-hmm. like being around Chinese speakers to me is quite comfortable. And I really, really like it for some reason. It's the language that I've learned the most of. It's, it's, uh, I don't know. I think it was the most, well, I've had, uh, the most experience getting to know, uh, Chinese speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and being in different environments with them, learning to play mahjong, and like, like, I don't know, like, I, so it seems to me, um, wherever they are, I like to be around Chinese speakers. So, <laughs> do I want to go back to China? Like, sure. Like, it's cool. It's a cool place. Uh, 
I don't know the relationship between China and the U.S. right now and how that's working out. <laughs> but um, uh, I, I really like that. The thing is, again, if it's about intention, like I want to go back to Zambia again to try again. Because mm. I sucked in Zambia. My job was to go and, and be a part of like the, the little maintenance team. And we were finishing a lifestyle center. We would do these um, clinics out in the bush in different areas. And because I was useless uh, as a builder and stuff, I ended up um, tutoring some kids that were like expats, local expats. But but yeah, so it was mainly to be useful somehow with uh, finishing the lifestyle center. That was the majority of it. So yeah, you uh, you want to go back there? I've seen I've seen a lot of pictures from Zambia. That would be really cool to go visit. Oh yeah, it's um, there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff to see. I mean, from Victoria Falls to like the the western side, which is a little more like scrubby and almost a little deserty. It, it, it is hard for me to relate to the actual geography of a place. Like, I want to go back because of that thing that I saw. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, why would you want to go back to a place? That's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to think now. Like, why would I want to go back? What's in your mind about that? Honestly, I'm kind of split. I do like the iconic locations. Like, I love the nature. I love experiencing, yeah. um, you know, like here in Iceland, we have a lot of geothermal activity mm, and true. a lot of glaciers yeah. and stuff like that. Um, so a lot of people... Uh, the majority of people come to Iceland for the scenery. They come for the landscapes. They come for the highlands, like do the four by four across the rivers. Uh, That's right. And not many people know about the culture. So because, I mean, there's only 375,000 people who live in Iceland. And so uh, there, a lot of tourists just come from for the landscapes and then they get to know the culture once they're here. Um, for me personally, I've enjoyed getting to know the culture, being married to an Icelandic girl and, you know, spending time with her family. And, uh, yes, not yesterday, the day before yesterday, Tuesday, we actually went to one of our, one of our friends farms where they're having lambing season. And I forget the Icelandic word for it now, but, um, this is the time where all the baby lambs are born and then they put them out to the, um, fields well, to the fields, to the highlands, they basically roam free. And then in the fall, cool. yeah, in the fall, they round them all up and they put them into a pen. It's called retter. And uh, they basically divide all the sheep out per farmer and then uh, take them back to their farms. And it's all done, uh, man- well, pretty manually. Uh, some of the bigger farms, it'll take like five, seven days. They'll round them up with ATVs and horses and stuff. But uh, it's very much like a cultural thing. And that's what I love. Like, I love experiencing Mm. it. We were were able to help them last fall. And then we were able to go watch the lambs be born this spring. And we're totally planning on helping in the fall again. But, uh, yeah, just hearing that and getting to know their stories, the culture, uh, I love that just as much. So, for me, I'm kind of of split 50-50. I love learning about cultures, but I also... Uh, love seeing landscapes that you know you can't mm. get at home because each place is different yeah. and sometimes we yeah just, that's true we get very used to where we're from which is one thing that's nice about me growing up all over the place is i've never gotten used to anything so each landscape has like a different emotional response and mm. uh so if you go to like you know like a desert area i emotionally respond to 
the year I spent at summer camp, Camp Yava Pines, because um, okay. that was like a deserty area, and that was pretty much the longest I've spent in an area like that. And actually, this is, uh, I think some sometimes when I'm when I end up thinking and talking about culture, I think some people tend to hear that I think that no differences exist, for example, mm-hmm. because I don't I, because I don't believe in some homogenous, let's say, like I said, national culture, right? Mm-hmm. But what you're describing makes a lot of sense. And I, so I, I have had to figure out how to try to talk about how I do see the patterns exist. And what what you, um, like what you say about how, you know, a region or a particular like geographical uh, kind of effect, environment in general, like there is this like response that you have. And in mm-hmm. fact, there is there is a patterned response. There's like a collective response and, you know, to like freezing temperatures most of the year. Like you need to figure out how to survive that. And you're going to be working with other people to do that. So you might as well develop some pretty similar behaviors. Right. So actually I also like the term terroir. Have you heard of this? It's like a, Mm -mm. it's like, I think it's, it's started. I read it in relation to, was it French cuisine or, no, I think maybe it was like Italian, um, like how Parmigiano Reggiano has to be from that region in Italy in order to have the name and has to go through an exact process in order to count. Yeah. The, the belief is that the terrain, the territory mm. produces a, a flavor that is specific to that region because of the soil, because of the, you know, the the different climate climatic factors eh? climate factors yeah um like that you cannot get that flavor anywhere else in the world and i believe that you know but but i but i don't know how to reconcile that against what i feel Mm -hmm. and what i hear when people talk about you know that icelandic culture has to be one thing Mm -hmm. and it has to be the way that that little group treats little lambs that run out into the you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. the, that's Icelandic culture. And it can't be anything else. Well, like that's the kind of thing. And I think that's a brilliant point because um, I was at work yesterday and my wife's sister, she was like, man, you've experienced more more of Iceland than I have. Like, I've never I've never done that. And I mean, most of most most of the Icelanders live in <laughs> in the city. And so several of them haven't haven't experienced that, even though, you know, that's a huge yeah. and and I totally get your point what you're saying because that's known as a cultural factor like it's such a historic icelandic thing because i mean back in the day all iceland was was farms and then these little um trading posts where the the harbors were and so this is very much a part of their heritage like every their ancestors used to do this but anymore the people in the city aren't doing this. They know more about Penn and Teller fool us or Clash of Clans, you know. So it's kind of grouping. Yeah. So it's a brilliant. Here's example. an amazing, amazing redefinition that I, that might help us, and I hope make people a little uncomfortable. And and that is so that they can start to push back against the beliefs they have about big groups of people. Mm-hmm. And so I think what we've run into. Just now, I think the way you could define culture, at least the way it's used, is culture is whatever can be experienced by a tourist. And once culture is reduced to that, it's over. Like, you might as well, like, just um, just set up a museum and walk away. Or, like, 
like take the life out of it, you know? Yeah. And, and it, it changes as, you know, as people change and, uh, yeah, as, as you, like you said, traditions, I, th I think that's really key too, because traditions are what hold people together in different aspects, whether it's religious or, um, mm -hmm. country or, uh, family or whatever, um, traditions are what, what hold people together in very strong, strong ways. And I think traditions mm -hmm. come from where you're from, like people in, and going back to the different states in the U S each, each one has different traditions, uh, that they come from. But I think the main point you're getting at, which is very good is globalization has changed that. Uh, you could have mm -hmm. somebody in California wearing cowboy hats have more in common with the Texas guys because he's like constantly on forums and like wishing he could have a gun because he's in California, but <laughs> you know, have more in common with them yeah. than people in California just because of the access, which is interesting because I know, I know you're talking about social media on Facebook, uh, the other day. How do you think yeah. social media has ch shaped the way people view travel or the way people view their own, uh, where they're from, like their own cultures. So social media is obviously based, it, it assumes uh, certain technologies mm -hmm. and connectivity, right? Yeah. So having a device or having access to a computer. So already we're limiting, we're limiting what's possible to be experienced on social media to a very, uh, I mean, like a, a narrow set of either experiences or people with certain resources, right? So um, what can be seen on social media is really, really different from what a lot of people actually experience in real life, right? So what I think, and this goes back to sort of the quote where I started the use of traveling is to regulate imagination with reality. So I think what social media has done, and I saw this in my study, in my dissertation study, where, you know, a girl thought, you know, going to America means going to the mall all the time and party, drunken parties with other high school friends and stuff. And then she shows up at like a really conservative school. It's like nothing like that. Well, her, the influence was from social media and what her friends posted. So that was their experience. So that experience is possible in another place. But I think what ends up happening is people accept as given or as real or as reality what they see in images. And, and those end up being uh, super misleading or, or cause all kinds of mismatch. So I think if it's possible, it's, it's really cool to approach social media at, with some kind of sense of the limits of social media and that like just because somebody posts something doesn't mean that that can be in any relation to what you might experience in that country because they weren't in the country they were at, their body was in a very, very specific spot. Their view was pointing a very, very specific direction. So like they weren't in the country. They were in this little dot on a, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, their experience was very minuscule. Yeah, so if you can accept that and stop thinking and talking in terms of giant regions, vast tracts of land, huge people groups, if you can put that stuff on pause, social media is great. If you can't, then you're just getting yourself ready to be misunderstood constantly, to misunderstand where you're going, to be shocked all the time, to be, you know, to be afraid of everything you see and touch. Like it's uh, I, I think, again, if you can approach it with some kind of responsible sense of its limits. Mm -hmm. Cool. If, if not, you might as well go travel.
and realize that social media is not is not really going to help you out a whole lot. There are there are uses of social media, but maybe that's for another podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. It can be good or it can be bad depending on how you use it. And I think it's I I love influencers who go around and take creative pictures like mm. it's an art form. Yeah. You know they do great. But when you think that destination is their reality, it's not. Mm. Perfect example here in Iceland. Um, over the past couple of years, like tourism has boomed, yeah. and it's gotten really bad at some of the waterfalls on the south coast. Like you're really pushing to uh, get get in front, and so you have all these beautiful pictures of like somebody at this deserted waterfall, and then you go there and you realize they had to wait in line for half an hour to get to the front of the line to take this picture. <laughs> you know, yeah. so there's. <laughs> There's this, which is really nice with coronavirus right now. There's no no tourists there, so it's actually beautiful. But uh, yeah, so that's exactly um, exactly correct. Yeah, I I do just want to if if anybody if any of your listeners you know need any motivation to travel, I want to be that motivation. I mean, I, I would love to see more people visiting more places, talking to more people, and. And the thing is, like, you don't have to go far, right, to have a very different experience than what you're used to. So even if it's just on the other side of town or, like, forget, just stop thinking in terms of borders for a while. You know, just just meet different people, ask them questions, not like, what do your people do on certain holidays? But, like, what do you do? What do you like? What are you interested in? What do you know about? Not like, how can you represent a giant group the best, you know, way possible? Like, don't invite people to do that, you know? But go out, meet, travel. I, I mean, it's I'm, I am super passionate about it, so I appreciate being able to talk about it. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, talking about instead of getting to know the culture, getting to know the people, and consequently, you'll get to know, you know, what they like and what they what their um, interests and passions are. Yeah, because they're going to surprise you. Yeah, <laughs> there's not there's not going to be any one individual who represents a big group very well. You know, they're going to try to represent the big group and they're going to try to speak for giant groups, but they're not really qualified. Yeah. I mean, nobody's qualified to speak for millions of people. So it, anyway, uh, uh, yes, try to get individuals, appreciate difference, even on a national culture, whatever scale you want to, but just try to get to know people, you know. 100% agree. That's very good. Well, I'm going to do, um, we're going to wrap it up with a rapid fire section here which, <laughs> which is basically just trivial travel facts just answer the first first thing that comes to your mind do okay you, do you prefer beaches or cities oh beaches what is the worst food that you've tried balut balut what is that wait worst probably the worst that's like the uh the the duck embryo Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that might be the worst. Uh, are you Nikon, Canon, or Sony guy? Oh, I don't have a fancy camera. <laughs> you use your phone, right? Uh, yeah. Android or Apple? Android. Nice. Same. Google Fi. Google Fi. Let me plug Google Fi. If you're an international traveler, I recommend Google Fi. Nice. And why is that? Because it's seamless. Like they they have a good service. It's it's uh, reasonably priced. You don't have to get a different SIM card. You can just land in China and be connected. You don't have to pay 
like real crazy. Anyway. Wow. That's, yeah, that's I love great. It. Uh, group or solo travel? I, I do like small groups, although I love to walk around by myself. Um, I, I would keep it small and uh, still have the ability to take off and do things I wanted to. Nice. What's your favorite airport you've flown through? I forget airports, actually. <laughs> Is I there any memorable any... one that stood out? Oh, man. Not for any me. Not like, like that was awesome. I, I can't think of any. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite airline you've flown with? I also forget airlines. <laughs> Shoot. I don't know. Anyone that has um, a screen and that treats me well i mean i i don't know honestly yeah maybe delta the in-flight entertainment no. korean air maybe korean air nice and <laughs> <laughs> i've never flown with them i've uh i really like delta though delta's good and iceland air iceland air is like the best that i've flown on so far do you have any last kickers you want to share with uh with our listeners about travel um, just how they can view it more intentionally or experience it better. Yeah, I, I do want to share something. So it's the difference between when I went to Zambia and when I went to Taiwan. So when I went to Zambia, this is my first big, like I was gone for 10 months. Mm -hmm. um, Taiwan, I was gone for two years. But my approach, I when I think back on it, it was super, super different. So going to Zambia, I asked the director of our of our. Um, whatever it was, our program, um, like I asked him literally, like I still have the list of questions. It was like nearly 100 questions, including like, is there going to be a bed for me? Am I going to be able to plug in my whatever, my camera? Is there uh -huh. like I was just so anxious about about going there, you know, again, like my imagination just like flooded with you know, all kinds of images of Africa, but I wasn't going to Africa. I was going to Riverside Farms Institute in Zambia near Lusaka. So like, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I, and I packed all this stuff and I had so much junk with me. And uh, anyway, then a few years later going to Taiwan, I talked to a few people about it. I recognized that in Taiwan, you know, people actually live there. So if I need something to live, I could probably find it there if I don't bring it. Like, it's just a totally, totally different approach. No anxiety. Like, I'll figure it out when I get there. I'm going to pack what I can. I'm going to be responsible. But just, like, showing up in a place where other people live. Like, that's that's fine, you know? And that's cool. And, like, be flexible, you know? That's something that's really stuck with me. It's just, like, you, you'll be all right. You'll figure it out. You know, show up if you need something. You'll probably be able to find it. You'll be okay. And that wraps up this episode. Thank you so much for joining in on the conversation today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this conversation with your friends. You can find us on Instagram at TravelWorthLiving or on the web at TravelWorthLiving.com. We sincerely hope you'll join us again next week. From Tripoli, I'm Seth Sutherland, and this is Travel Worth Living.